0: Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Hello, my friends. So glad that you're tuning in once again here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. As always, So blessed, excited, pumped to dive right into the gospel accounts and to look at the life and teaching of our Savior Jesus Christ. You know, when I was thinking about uh, this message that we're going to be looking at today, this is podcast 67, and the title is Don't Miss the Truth. And we continue from where we left off last podcast in John 7. And so we're going to be picking things up here in John 7 10 through 52. And it just got me thinking that, you know, we cannot, my friends, think about this. We cannot stand strong in our faith if we're not standing strong in the word of God. So I do hope and pray that as you explore with me, as you spend time each and every day and you study God's word, that you apply it, that you live it out, that you're not just uh, convicted by God's word, but you go forth and you proclaim his truth. And today is going to be a great reminder of that because Jesus up to this point has been spending about two years at this phase of our study practically here in his Judean ministry now about roughly 80, 29, or 31, depending on what kind of calendar you're to look at. But he almost has, you know, almost a year left. And at this stage, he's exposed himself in tremendous ways as you and I have been studying as we've been going through the gospel accounts. And yet, as we saw last podcast in John 7, 1 through 9, his brothers didn't even at this stage believe that he, their brother, that was their half-brother, was indeed the Messiah. And even today, we're going to be seeing in verses 10 through 52 that many people are confused about who Jesus is. So remember, he com- he did not comply to the demands of his brothers, and yet he challenged them to be followers, to be people who have total obedience and the calling that he has received from the heavenly father we saw that in matthew 8 18 through 22 and luke 9 57 through 62. now after he gives him that challenge about total obedience as he himself has submitted to his heavenly father to do the will of his father we saw that in john chapter 4 we saw that again in luke chapter 9 matthew 8 and we're going to see that in john 7 and those remaining passages we conclude chapter 7 today in 10 through 52. And as he ends that discussion with the disciples, he then heads to Jerusalem to teach at the temple on the Feast of Tabernacles. So again, the Feast of Tabernacles continues uh, to take place at this time. So let me just pick things up in John 7, beginning in verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath, a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath, I made a man's whole body. Well, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people in Jerusalem, therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean when he says, You will seek me, and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to have come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Wow. So as you can see, there's a lot of interaction going back and forth with Jesus and the crowd and the religious leaders and these authorities and, you know, soldiers and different people from different backgrounds having a say into this matter concerning not just what Jesus was sharing, but the person of Jesus. And that's why I titled this message today, the podcast today, Uh, not missing the truth, because here right in front of these people was the truth, right? It was God incarnate, and yet they completely and totally missed it. So let's jump right into this passage and unpack it. Now, when you jump back to verse 10 in the very beginning, where his brothers go off to the feast, and then it says that Jesus went up, not publicly, but in private, it literally means that he was hidden. He remained in the background, if you will, in the darkness for a time being, And the Jews were looking, it says here in verse 11, they were searching, they were wanting to know about his whereabouts. So it was becoming a very public thing that people were expressing the desire to want to know where Jesus was. Now, as this was occurring in verse 12, this muttering term means to express discontent, to complain. So here, this is one of the most celebratory feasts uh, on the calendar for the Jews, and they were complaining They were so fixated on who Jesus was, where his whereabouts were, how we're going to arrest him, how we're going to get rid of this man. And then when this muttering was taking place, notice it says that some were saying, this is a good man. They're saying, this guy has moral qualities. He's kind. He's a very healthy individual. What's the problem? Others were saying, no, he's leading the people astray. He's deceiving people. So we cannot fall prey to this man who is causing the religious leaders, to hunt him down because he is going against the law. Now, remember, Jesus was planning to attend the Feast of Tabernacles, but he was not going based on the recommendation of his brothers. And obviously, one of the reasons was because he knew that the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, one commentary writes, "...this feast occurred in the early autumn, so September or early October, and lasted for seven days." Its observance is commanded in Exodus 23:16, 34:22, Leviticus 23:39, 42 and 43, and Deuteronomy 16:13. Its significance was twofold. It was a harvest home festival and hence was called the Feast of Ingathering, and it was commemorating the dwelling of Israel in the tents or booths in the wilderness, hence the name Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. The association of the latter Event with harvest was designed to remind the people in their prosperity of the days of their homeless wandering, that their hearts might not be lifted up and forget God, who delivered them from bondage, according to Deuteronomy eight, twelve through seventeen. Therefore they were commanded to quit their permanent homes, and to dwell in booths at the time of the harvest. The festival was also known as the Feast of Jehovah, or simply the Festival, according to Leviticus twenty three thirty nine first Kings 8 verse 2 because of its importance and of being the most joyful of all festivals at the celebration of the feast at Jerusalem booths were erected in the streets and squares and on the housetops so now you can imagine the setting of what was taking place here during the feast of gathering the Feast of booths or the Feast of Tabernacles and this complaining was going about this muttering because people were looking for him and remember this was a this was a huge deal. This was a big thing because in ancient times, when there was a lot of debate that was going on in, in certain discourses on sayings of rabbis and scholars of the day, the Sanhedrin would put an end to anything that were in contrary, they believed to the law. So Jesus had already been marked as a bad rabbi, someone who was going contrary to their very teachings. And so the Jews were struggling to figure out who exactly he was. A lot of people are asking, was he good? Was he bad? Remember, the Pharisees from day one already knew this man is bad. He's bad news for us. We do not like him. And he was making their position seem very weak. And so people attempted to charge him with, in this case, as we just read, deception. Now, that's important in context because if he was a rabbi and he was a scholarly individual and remember, we had, we we're going to touch on it in a minute, but I just read through how many people say, how can this man teach the way he has because he's unlearned? But he's teaching deception, and that was death by stoning according to the Timaldic law. So this is very important. Now, in verse 15, when they heard him, when he came to the temple and started to teach, they were amazed, they were astonished. Then they asked the question, how is this, this, how is this man able to teach the way that he is, he's teaching. If he's never studied, literally, has he's never had any education, any type of knowledge. He doesn't know so much. That's basically what they're saying. This guy is illiterate, and Jesus says, "My teaching is not mine," meaning it's not self-originated, and that's key too. Now, remember, in that culture, and we've talked about in previous podcasts, a lot of rabbis just copied. Okay, they read the Talmud, and they would give commentary to old sayings from old rabbis. So what's interesting about this response from Jesus is, even though he says it's not self-originating, meaning I'm not coming out with this original content myself, I have copied, if you will, my own rabbi. In this case, it's the heavenly father. So despite this opposition that he was undergoing, Jesus still goes to the temple courts to teach halfway in the week of the celebrations. Now we have to note something. The first and the last days of the Feast of Tabernacles or booths were Sabbath-like observances. So it kicked off on Sabbath and it ended on a Sabbath. So it's jam-packed with discourse, with debate, with celebration, with reading the law. And so when Jesus is teaching in the midst of all these other teachers, remember they were astonished, they were amazed, they marveled at his brilliance. And they asked this question, how is this man who is unlearned to teach the way that he's teaching because Jesus, remember, he grew up in an urban area where it was common for Jewish boys who were not able to read or to write. Where Jesus grew up, how he grew up, his family wouldn't have the finances or even the status to be trained by a Torah teacher. So that explains in part why the people were so surprised by his advanced knowledge. This phrase, my teaching is not mine. Again, Jesus came to fulfill the will of his father. The Jews, they believed that they they were listening and obeying the law, yet their traditions at this stage and time in the first century had blinded them, and they were developing this hatred towards Jesus even though he brought the evidence that he was the Messiah, he was fulfilling prophecy, and he had John the Baptist who was the great herald who proclaimed his coming for people to repent for the kingdom of heaven was at hand, but they were not getting that. And it says here, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. They were confused. So they're saying with all the knowledge of the scriptures, the Jews, they had no excuse for rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. And they're thinking, why doesn't he even know? Jesus said, remember John 5, 46 through 47, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus's authority, my friends, reflects his obedience and fulfilling the will of God. He had the religious leaders right there in front of them on the feast of and And he was showing them, you guys come to remember how God delivered our people from the wilderness and his coming promises that coming kingdom will be here. We will dwell in his presence someday, Zechariah 14. But you're not even following God's will. And you're not even receiving me as the Messiah, the one that you guys are waiting for. This question he asks in verse 19, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Not only is he saying, have you neglected me? You're not even keeping the law, but yet here they're celebrating the feast of and gathering. See, Jesus' statement is profound. It's a profound one. He is telling the religious leaders that they fail to understand the true purpose and the true meaning of the law. You see, Jesus uses the law to prove his innocence while exposing the contradictions, remember the circumcision on the Sabbath, Leviticus 12, 3, and the evil intent of the religious leaders to commit murder. So that's how he brings up circumcision here in verses 22 and 23 when he said, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well. Do not judge my appearance." And how do they respond to Jesus? He shows, I'm sinless. I'm here to fulfill the law. You guys are misinterpreting the law, and you're even seeking to kill the Messiah. The response, you have a demon. This was a constant attack that's used against Jesus. Think about when you're in situations and you're giving someone the truth, and you're backing it up, you're backing your claims up with evidence, you're proving your point respectfully, right? Ephesians 4, 15, speaking the truth in love, giving a defense, giving an answer to those who ask you, 1 Peter 3, 15. And people just respond with rhetoric or an ad hominem. They just attack your character. Well, you're an idiot, you don't know. You're just biased. That's not a proper defense. That's not a proper rebuttal. You and I know that. What do they say to Jesus here on the Feast of Tabernacles? You have a demon. They said that in Matthew twelve, twenty four, John eight, forty eight, John ten, twenty. Many of them said it says here in John ten, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Now, Jesus responds, he says, don't judge me by appearances. See, the Jews were too blind. They were too blind because they were too wicked to judge correctly. So Jesus couldn't have a civil conversation. So like he often did, he would use those opportunities, not just rebuke the religious leaders to expose that they are wolves in sheep's clothing, but hopefully try to win the crowd to not follow these blind, um, prideful leaders, but to know that he, in fact, is the Messiah. So then that's when these responses start coming out in verse 25. The people here in Jerusalem, they're asking the question, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And they're speaking openly about this man and what the authorities are uh, apparently going to be doing about it. You know, so they were confused as to why the religious leaders failed to act, either believe in him or arrest him. So this, what this did, now remember, they were already muttering, complaining and seeking him out to try to arrest him. They're saying that he was a rabbi who was deceiving the people, which again was unlawful and they had a right to stone him, of course not under Rome, but of course under their Jewish laws they could. Now you're, you're seeing this discussion lead to further debate and rage over whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. So this false belief, this tradition, this false tradition if you will, where it says no one will know where he comes from, blinded the people from accepting the Davidic line of Jesus and his miracles. Now, remember, at this point in time, there were a lot of Jews who started to believe in this, what's known as a hidden Messiah tradition. And it was a particular belief, especially, I think, after identifying that Jesus was fulfilling many of the things that were proclaimed to come from the Messiah, that they started believing this hidden Messiah thing. Well, he won't show up this way as Jesus has shown up. He's just going to appear suddenly out of nowhere. But obviously, the interesting thing about that is he did. He came out of nowhere after 400 years of silence. Here comes John the Baptist and then here comes Jesus and he's living among them. He's a carpenter, no big deal. He comes from a modest family and then he comes on scene and gets publicly baptized in the Jordan River and we know the rest is history. So here in verse 28, Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. So he's challenging them. You guys are acting like you don't know and you're so confused yet the truth is right in front of you. And this phrase, and him you do not know. See, remember, he's already challenging them in so many different levels about Moses and law, about circumcision. They're not following the law. They're misinterpreting the law. Yet they're the ones that are getting on him saying he is a deceiver. Yet Jesus is saying that, no, you guys are a deceiver. And so for, the, for Jesus to say that you don't know, to tell a Jewish audience that they truly don't know God is considered to be the biggest insult. Okay, the biggest insult is right here right now now of course Jesus didn't mean it to be an insult he was telling them the truth because he is truth and this was a hard hitting fact for the Jews to swallow and he says i know him for i come from him and he sent me jesus is telling the audience that he knows the father because he is god go back to john 1:1 1, 1, john 1:14 1, john 1:18 and of course now we see here in verse 32 the crowd starts muttering again about these things. And it says here, the chief priests and the the Pharisees, they sent officers. These were Levite temple guards to arrest him. These would be the same guards, not the same exact men, of course, but the same type of guards that would go arrest him, remember, in the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says to them in verse 33, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. And you will seek me, and you will not find me where I am You cannot come. So the Pharisees attempt to arrest and kill Jesus failed once again because it wasn't Jesus's time to die in verse 30. Now, I believe, my friends, when I look at this particular passage of scripture, here's what I see. I see this phraseology that's mentioned about Jesus, that they go to arrest him, that he, it's a miraculous thing. It's a miraculous protection. Somehow, some way, their plot to arrest him in front of everybody because they could have just grabbed him. And they sent the Levite temple guards to arrest him. And then he says, I will not be with you much longer. So they're trying to get rid of him physically right here, right now. But he's telling them in the totality of everything that I'm going to give up my life and I'm going to depart. Meaning I'm going to ascend to heaven at the right-hand side of the Father. So my time, that will come, but my time is not yet. And for whatever reason right here we see at the end of verse 34, they couldn't do it. And I believe that's a miracle right there that... With angels or whatever, they're pushing back these guards and preventing them to get a hold of Jesus. Now, in verse 35, the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go where we will not be able to find him? He's going to go with the Greeks, etc. So the Jews, they didn't believe that Jesus came from heaven. Obviously, they rejected that notion. They rejected the belief that he was the Messiah. And, and so the words of Jesus were, were, were lo- almost like, if you think about like an enigma to them. One commentator writes... Jesus's mind was on the cross in his divine mission. He looked beyond this to his glory, an experience through which his hearers could not pursue him. As so often in this gospel, the words of Jesus were misunderstood through being taken to literally. The perplexity of the Jews is understandable, but shows their incapacity to think in spiritual terms. Their minds went to the dispersion, that is Jews scattered among the Greeks. The irony of the situation is that John records later in John 12, 20 through 22, that some Greeks sought out Jesus and his readers would have known how the gospel had spread through the Gentile world, end quote. So here in verse 37 now, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, remember, so this is a Sabbath. It began on a Sabbath, the Feast of Tabernacles, and it ends on a Sabbath. Sabbath. And when it says that he cried out, it literally means introducing a solemn announcement, He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit. Now this is very exciting. When I was diving into this and exploring this, this is really cool Jewish stuff. So I hope you appreciate it as much as as I certainly did putting this together. This phrase, on the last day of the feast, the Jews had a special water ritual. On the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, so on the Sabbath here. And Jesus uses this opportunity to announce the coming of the Holy Spirit. One commentary writes, The Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated with certain festival rituals. One was a solemn procession each day from the temple to the Gaihean Spring. A priest filled a gold pitcher with water while the choir sang Isaiah 12.3. Then they returned to the altar and poured out the water. This ritual reminded them of the water from the rock during the wilderness wanderings. In in Numbers 20 and Psalm 78, it also spoke prophetically of the coming days of the Messiah in Zechariah 14. The feast seventh and last day was its greatest day. So if you recall, remember the Feast of Tabernacles was twofold. One, in a sense, reminding the people of God's deliverance, right? Taking them out of captivity and giving them the promised land, which would ultimately be fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven when they will dwell with their God for all eternity. So here they're celebrating that. And the last day with a procession, with Isaiah 12 being being uh, sang by the choir, and this water, this living water is a reminder of how God gave them the water. Jesus cries out, gives us final message about salvation. And he came right outside the temple courts in Jerusalem to say it. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So on the eighth and final day, This is what's interesting now. No water was poured. So this ritual acted as a way to remember the need for God to quench the soul. So remember, they've been doing it up to this point, but on the eighth day, the final day, they wouldn't get water. And so Jesus is saying, you guys are remembering this by not getting water as a way that you need God to quench your soul. I'm that living water. I'm here to quench your soul. Just like Moses sought God for water in the wilderness, which was physical thirst for the people. Jesus is telling the Jews to seek him to satisfy the soul with spiritual thirst. This was another claim of deity. Isn't that amazing? Now, in response to this, notice the people were like, okay, some were saying this is really the prophet. Others saying, no, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? So now notice the claims here. Claim number one, this is really the prophet. Now see, some believe Jesus was the prophet mentioned by Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 15 and verse 18 as well. Remember Acts 3, later when the church was being built, you have the, this powerful testimony that comes from the apostles saying, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. The other claim was that he is the Christ, meaning, Yo, know, he is Mashiach. He is the anointed one claim number 3 here is this is nobody important so notice how ignorant again the truth again right in front of them but yet some of the Jews rejected it they were ignorant even of his birthplace Jesus did come from Bethlehem now yes he was he was he came from Nazareth but he was born in Bethlehem because of the consensus they knew the prophecy in, in Micah 5:2 however they neglected to piece together that Jesus indeed fulfilled the messianic prophecy as he did with many others. The chief priests and the scribes, they referenced Micah 5.2 to Herod, remember in Matthew 2.6. So many of them knew this. And yet here in this audience now, fast forward almost two years later in Jesus' public ministry, and they're denying it. Now again, as I mentioned before, a miraculous protection by God the Father for his son. And here again, no one laid hands on him. So despite the turmoil over over Jesus' identity, the crowd still withheld any aggression towards him, for fear of him being the Messiah. So they were so confused in this. Then the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and they said, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Okay, so several things as we wrap things up. Why did you not bring him? See, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they were astonished as well that Jesus wasn't arrested and brought to them for questioning after saying what he said about being the living water. The religious leaders thought the people were going to be on their side and that they wanted Jesus to be arrested because of all that murmuring and complaining. The response of the temple guards gave them was no one ever spoke like this man. They were enamored by the presentation of Jesus. He wasn't just an unusual speaker. This man was clearly anointed and this phrase now, remember they said earlier that Jesus had a demon. They're saying about the crowd that they are cursed. Literally, the leaders point to the ignorance of the crowd to explain why Jesus wasn't arrested. Yet again, they were too blind to see because of their ignorance what the scriptures taught. And I love this because here Nicodemus comes to Jesus' defense and he asks them this question, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So he's quoting from Deuteronomy 1, 16 and 17. And instead of his counterpart saying, oh yeah, you know, you're right, that's what the law does say, they condemn him too. And they use this phrase, are you from Galilee too? So they're opposing his defense and they attack his very credentials They're putting him down. So we know earlier that the religious leaders and some people in the crowd said that Jesus had a demon. And then we see the response that the chief priests, the crowd, you know, the priests themselves, the Sanhedrin, many of the counterparts that are there have to the crowd saying they're a curse is that they're ignorant and then this response to nicodemus who brings up the law that they're supposed to be defending and protecting they mock his credentials by saying you're from galilee then this this last thing about saying well just search to see if a prophet's supposed to come from galilee they're just throwing it aside saying we know that that's not the case so as we wrap things up i just want to point out that we clearly see from the half-brothers of Jesus in the early chapter of John 7 to the very end, as we see with the religious leaders in the response to Jesus, how ignorant and blinded they were when they, when in fact they thought that, the, uh, that Nicodemus or that the people or Jesus himself were, and yet they were. And I don't want us to miss uh, the application here as I close things out. If there's any blindness in your life, my friend, anything going on, any struggles that you're having— Any particular sins that you're holding on to that you need to repent of these things, get right with the Lord. Let the word of God convict your hearts and respond because the truth is right there in front of all of us. And we may be Christians. We may have the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, but that does not mean that we will not succumb to some things that we shouldn't and that we're not going to be blinded. There are things in my life and I'm sure there are things in your life that we as human beings will struggle with. And we need to make sure that when we study God's word, when we live God's word to stand strong, that we are not blinded to his truth. So take that to heart, my friends. Thank you for listening. And until next time, I will see you on the next episode. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the word of God.